The Art of Being Human presents podcast on the work of Byron Katie. This episode is part of the How to Do the Work series, offering specific instructions on how to develop and improve your own practice of the work. This is session one, Identifying Your Thoughts, with Ernest Holmes Svensson. For more podcasts on the work of Byron Katie, go to www.theartofbeinghuman.com dk slash podcasts. And now, session one, identifying your thoughts. Hello, my name is Ernest, and in this episode of the podcasts on the work of Byron Katie, It's time to get started on the How to Do the Work series, where I will give you specific instructions that will enable you to develop and improve your own practice of the work. If you haven't already done so, I recommend that you listen to the Why the Work Works series first. I realize that it may seem as if that would be postponing your practice, and I love that you would want to jump right in. But in reality... It is my definite experience that having an understanding of the points I cover in those first episodes will dramatically increase not only the benefit you'll get from your work, but also the speed by which you'll be able to obtain a successful practice. Now, as I explained in the previous episode, the work is a seductively simple process. It consists of three parts. First, we identify the thoughts we've come to believe in a given situation. Then, we investigate those thoughts using four specific questions. And each time we've done so, we turn the thoughts around and find examples of how the opposite might be just as true. This episode is about the first part, identifying our thoughts. This is the starting point of any work session and serves as the foundation for everything that follows. And in this episode, I'll explain to you how to use one of the most fundamental tools in the process, the Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet. It may help you to have a copy of the worksheet ready for easy reference as we go. You can find it on my website. Simply go to theartofbeinghuman.dk and navigate to the resources page under the podcast tab. Or you can find it at the homepage for the work, which is www.thework.com. And with that covered, let's dive into the actual process of doing the work. As I've said a couple of times, there's nothing complicated about the structure of the work. Identify your thoughts, ask the four questions, and find examples of the turnarounds. These are steps you'll soon learn to master. Where the process can be challenging is in our ability to approach it with an open mind. That is what is at the core of the work, and it already begins with the initial process of identifying our thoughts. What we want here is to get as close as possible to what we're really thinking and believing. 
And that can be a bit of a challenge in some cases, since so many of us have internalized the demands for being kind and polite to such a point that we are not even aware anymore of the stream of negative and judgmental thoughts that are the basic component of any unpleasant emotional state. Or, even when we are aware, we are so busy judging ourselves for having those thoughts that we don't allow them a voice. The invitation in the work is to do the opposite. It is to sink in and get really close to what you're actually thinking and believing, without judging it or censoring it or dressing it up to look better. At first, this can be a bit disconcerting. We tend to take our thoughts terribly personally and feel that it's a horrible flaw on our parts that we would have all those unkind thoughts we have that we would think of our old and fragile parent, that things would be easier if they would just die, that we would be bored at a funeral or think badly of the deceased, that we would find joy in the misfortune of a colleague or be jealous at the success of a spouse. But this is how thoughts work. Most of them we don't do. They just happen. They arise in the meeting between our map of reality and reality as it is. And whenever there is a discrepancy between the two, the thoughts become stressful, and so-called negative emotions occur. Which is how we know it's time to do the work. Because the way back to peace and kindness is not to hide or suppress these stressful thoughts. On the contrary, it is to allow them their life and let them guide us to what is more true. So, the invitation as we dive into the first part of any work session and begin to identify our stressful thoughts is to be as honest, direct, and precise as possible. One effective way to support that is by focusing on a specific situation rather than being general and abstract. Anchoring ourselves in the concrete helps activate our nervous system and makes identifying our thoughts a lot easier. It's the difference between speaking in general terms about the challenges we face when we have teenagers living at home and speaking about the specific conflict we had with our eldest son the day before yesterday when he was lying on the sofa and refused to help set the table. When we speak in general terms... We drift from one vague image to the next, largely thinking in terms of theories and statistics. When we find ourselves in a concrete situation and relive the ugly words, the sound of the door slamming as he storms off into his room, and the sight of the cracked paint around the doorframe afterwards, something completely different happens. Our emotions reassert themselves, the inner images, the physical feeling of frustration, the urge to shout. Our inner simulator is then in full flow, and we experience what we are working on, speaking from a specific situation instead of about it. If, on top of that, we can also pinpoint the exact moment in the situation when our emotional reaction was strongest, then that is the optimum springboard. Maybe it was the point when he said, why should I? Or the moment the door slammed. Or when we noticed the cracked paint. 
The closer we can get to precisely what's upsetting us, the more effective our work will be. The work offers several different ways to identify our beliefs, but the most fundamental and straightforward is to fill out a judge-your-neighbor worksheet. The judge-your-neighbor worksheet is, as the name suggests, a way of gathering together all our judgments about another person in a specific situation. It consists of six points, each with their individual prompt. 1. In this situation, who angers, confuses, saddens, or disappoints you, and why? 2. In this situation, how do you want them to change? What do you want them to do? 3. In this situation, what advice would you offer to them? 4. In order for you to be happy in this situation, what do you need them to think, say, feel, or do? 5. What do you think of them in this situation? Make a list. 6. What is it about this situation that you don't ever want to experience again? We fill out the worksheet by moving to the specific situation we are working with, preferably having identified the exact moment when our emotional reaction was strongest, and answering the questions from there. In episode 2 of the Why the Work Works series, I explained how our simulator works and how we can travel in our minds to a completely different time and location. As when we are sitting in our favorite chair on a beautiful summer's day, while being mentally and emotionally re-experiencing a difficult conversation we had at work the day before. It's like daydreaming. We know, of course, that we are sitting in our living room, but all of our focus, and with that our emotions, are directed at something else. And as we fill out this worksheet, that's exactly what we do. We relive the experience we are working with, and as we do so, we observe what is really going on inside us, what we are actually thinking and believing, which in most cases we missed the first time round. A completed judge-your-neighbor worksheet about the situation with the teenager on the sofa, for instance, could look like this. The situation. My son is lying on the sofa watching TV, and when I ask him to help set the table, he says, why should I? The specific moment I'm working with is just as he says, why should I? 1. I am angry with my son because he doesn't respect me. 2. I want my son to do as I tell him. I want him to take responsibility. I want him to do as he promised. I want him to contribute to the household. 3. My son should remember how much we do for him. He shouldn't opt out. He shouldn't be so sullen. 4. I need my son to change his mind. I need him to get up and get started. I need him to be happy to help. 5. My son is lazy, unreasonable, teenagery, ridiculous, only sees the short term.
Six, I don't ever want to experience my son saying no to doing the chores we agreed on. I don't ever want to feel so powerless again. As you can see, filling in the worksheet isn't an attempt to be polite or kind. It's a way of gathering your honest thoughts in a specific moment. And although in my case it's definitely true that I love my son and I'm genuinely sympathetic to the challenges intrinsic to being a teenager, those weren't the thoughts that were going through my mind in that particular moment. Which is why I got angry. I might well see the situation differently ten minutes, or for that matter, ten seconds later. But right there, in that moment, those were my thoughts. And the reason I know that is because I returned to the situation in my inner simulator. I didn't do an intellectual analysis of the situation. I didn't try to guess what I properly thought or ponder what I believe people typically think in such situations. I took myself back to the situation, became completely present in it in my inner simulator, and responded to the questions on the worksheet from there. In this way, I didn't have to guess or approximate. I simply became still and experienced what was going on inside me in that moment. Which is also why, as you may have noticed, the worksheet is expressed in the present tense. I am angry with my son because he doesn't respect me. That's what I'm experiencing in that moment. Notice the difference to I was angry with my son because he didn't respect me. It's the difference between speaking about the situation and speaking from the situation. We want to get ourselves to a place where we are speaking from the situation. And it doesn't matter if the situation happened five minutes ago or forty years ago. When we go inside, we find that these painful situations are still inside us, surprisingly fresh, and as soon as we become still, all the details pop back up again. Here's a worksheet about a situation from my childhood. I don't think I could have been much more than four or five years old. The Situation I'm walking down the street with my mother when a strange man approaches and greets us. I'm shy, but my mother wants me to greet him nicely. The specific moment I'm anchored in is just as my mother pulls me off her leg and turns me around to greet him. 1. I feel pressured by my mother because she wants me to greet the stranger. 2. I want my mother to look after me. I want her to pick me up. I want her to take me away from the man. I want her to tell me it's okay if I don't greet the man. 3. My mother should notice how unpleasant I think it is. She should be thinking about me. She should hold me in her arms. She shouldn't force me to do something I don't want. She shouldn't prioritize good behavior above my personal boundaries. 4. I need my mother to protect me. I need her to respect my boundaries. I need her to help me through the situation. I need her to show me it's okay to say no. 5. My mother is unreliable, 
self-centered, demanding, a bad mother. 6. I don't ever want my mother to pressure me into doing something I don't feel ready for. I don't ever want to be let down by my mother again. This situation is nearly 40 years old, but when I become still and give myself time to be present in it again, I can see it clearly before my inner eye. I'm back there again, able to feel what it was like to be a little boy clinging to his mother's leg. I can't see what's around us on the road exactly, and I can't see what the man looked like. I just have a sense of him being an older man in a hat and a long coat. But the feeling of my mother's grip as she pulls me away and turns me around is absolutely clear, and it's there that my emotional response is strongest when I relive the situation today. Some situations are quite simple, like this moment from my childhood. I remember nothing of what happened before or afterwards, just that fragment of a memory I still carry with me. But when I worked through the situation again, it became clear to me how this feeling of being pushed outside my comfort zone has recurred again and again throughout my life, and how, in my adult life, I have repeatedly overstepped my own boundaries, pressuring myself to do certain things when it would have been kinder to give myself a break. At the same time, I can see my mother's innocence in that situation. She wanted her son to be well brought up and to show the old man, who I would guess was probably a friend of my grandparents, that she had a nice family. And I can see my own innocence when I force myself out of my comfort zone, trying to live up to exactly the same kind of expectations today. Nonetheless, after having worked through the situation, something has definitely changed inside me. I've become more sensitive to my own boundaries, and I don't force myself to do things I find unpleasant to the same extent as before. Other situations are more complex, and a single situation can easily result in several different worksheets, all of which contain whole sets of beliefs with many different reactions. That's why it's a good idea to anchor yourself in a specific moment. In the situation with my son on the sofa, for example, you can imagine that a completely new wave of beliefs were activated when he kicked the coffee table, and another when he stomped off, and then another when he slammed the door, and then again when I saw the paint was cracked. A worksheet focusing on the moment when I saw the cracked paint would look like this, for instance. The Situation my son has just slammed the door to his room, and I see that the paint around the doorframe is cracked. The specific moment I'm working with is right when I notice the cracked paint. 1. I am angry with my son because he's destroying our house. 2. I want my son to stop venting his anger on his physical surroundings. I want him to control himself. I want him to behave properly. 3. My son shouldn't get so upset. He should talk about things instead of flipping out. He should count to 10. 4. I need my son 
to close the door carefully even though he's angry. I need him to get a handle on his temper. 5. My son is a drama queen, disrespectful, inconsiderate, out of control. 6. I don't ever want my home to be destroyed just because my son can't be bothered to do his chores. I don't ever want to put up with his unreasonable behavior again. It's very often those closest to us and those with whom we have the most complex relationships that are the cause of the most challenging reflections of our beliefs. And it is there for them that we have most to learn from when we begin to do the work. The people we thought were the cause of our biggest problems turn out to be our best teachers. Our children, our partners, our siblings, our parents, our employees, our bosses. They turn out to be central to helping us on our way to finding peace and freedom in our lives. Every situation that gives rise to emotional stress or unpleasantness involves beliefs we can profitably work with. The sense of unpleasantness wouldn't be there, and in many cases, the memory of the situation wouldn't even be there if there weren't something our minds were still struggling with. So it doesn't matter whether it's something that happened five minutes ago or forty years ago. The beliefs that were present in the situation on the street with my mother have been with me and affected my behavior throughout my whole life and I could have found many other situations which would have given me the opportunity to work through the same issue. They are all doors that lead to the same room, the same fundamental beliefs about how keeping up appearances is more important than my personal boundaries. They are all part of a single network of roots, showing up in many areas of my life, but all connected at the same point. And when I uproot the beliefs at that point, the negative charge of all those situations across time and space withers away. And since my mind has changed, my actions, my interpretations, and my behavior change as well as I move forward in life. One question I often get is, therefore, where should I begin? But in reality, the answer is very simple. Begin with whatever stresses you out the most. Each time you register stress or discomfort, that means there's something worth taking a look at. And if more than one moment occurs to you, simply do them one after the other. In this way, worksheet by worksheet, you will gradually find yourself freer, happier, and more peaceful. As you may have noticed, there is a particular tone to these worksheets. The sentences are short and simple, almost childlike. They are in the present tense, they are anchored in specific moments, and they are direct and honest without any becauses or explanations. Let me read you a couple to give you a sense of the style. They are written by different people, and you can find more on the resources page on my website. The situation. We are sitting around the table in a restaurant. My dad has invited us and is sitting beside me. My daughter and her friend want another soft ring, but my dad says the soft rings are too expensive. 
The moment that's most painful is just as he says soft drinks cost an arm and a leg. 1. I'm embarrassed by my dad because he says that soft drinks cost an arm and a leg. 2. I want my dad to shut up. I want my dad to stop embarrassing me. 3. My dad should put the expense in perspective. Be true to his claim that he doesn't worry about money. Not be so direct. Enjoy this special moment. Keep to the plan. 4. I need my dad to offer the children more soft drinks. To pay for the soft drinks without comments. To keep his thoughts to himself. To enjoy himself. 5. My dad is stingy, inconsistent, embarrassing, disappointing. 6. I don't ever want to feel embarrassed by my dad again. I don't ever want to experience my dad being stingy again. And here's another. I'm sitting across from Anne at lunch. She's talking to a friend, and I'm trying to start a conversation with them, but she's not interested. The most painful moment is when she gives me an unenthusiastic smile, then turns her attention back to her friend. 1. I'm feeling hurt by Anne because she isn't giving in to my charm. 2. I want Anne to think I'm special. I want her attention. I want her respect. 3. Anne should notice me. Anne should be interested in me. Anne should see that I'm something special. 4. I need Anne to like me. 5. Anne is reserved and controlled. 6. I don't ever want to feel ignored by Anne again. The situation. We're sitting around the table at the department meeting. Carl has just set out his plan. I ask a question, and he begins his response with, Yes, as I've just explained. That's the moment that hurts the most. 1. I'm defensive towards Carl because he thinks my question is stupid. 2. I want Carl to say it's an excellent question. I want Carl to answer my question. I want Carl to stop criticizing me. I want Carl to appreciate my question. I want Carl to make me feel okay about asking. I want Carl to take the time to give me a serious answer. I want Carl to not blow me off. 3. Carl should listen more attentively to what I'm asking. He shouldn't criticize me in front of the others. He should take me more seriously. 4. I need Carl to think that I've done nothing wrong. I need Carl to understand why I'm asking. I need Carl to make me feel good about asking. I need him to let me know it's okay. 5. Carl is harsh, judgmental, doesn't say what he really means, critical, an authority, disappointing. 6. I don't ever want to be criticized by Carl again. I don't ever want to feel that Carl thinks I've done something wrong. 
I don't ever want to experience Carl making me feel guilty and ashamed. And the final one. Here's the situation. I'm 16 years old. I'm standing in my room with my mother, looking at myself in the mirror. My mother says, look at how fat you are. One. I'm feeling devastated by my mother because she's insulting me. Two. I want her to stop telling me that I look terrible. I want her to stop telling me that there's something wrong with me. I want her to stop criticizing me, to back off, to leave the room. I want her to stop hurting me. Three. My mother should take a deep breath. She should look at me. She should see how hurt I am by her words. She should recognize that the way she speaks to me is not helpful. She should remember my efforts to lose weight. She should speak kindly. She should tell me that she wants to help me. Four. I need my mother to be kind to me, to be my friend, to sit with me, to help me find a solution, to be on my side, to acknowledge me, to show me that she cares for me. Five. My mother is insulting, cruel, unconscious, sharp, hurtful, criticizing, aggressive, attacking, panicking, helpless, devastating, inconsiderate, not a proper mother. Six, I don't ever want to experience being devastated by my mother again. As you can hear, sometimes there are many sentences, or, as they are called in the work, one-liners, on a worksheet. Sometimes there are only few. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you anchor yourself in a specific stressful moment with another person, put on the worksheet all the thoughts that come, and try to be as precise and direct with them as you can. And allow yourself some time with this. Explore a little. Try not to end up with a worksheet like this. 1. I am angry at Peter because he doesn't respect me. 2. I want Peter to respect me. 3. Peter should respect me. 4. I need Peter to respect me. 5. Peter is disrespectful. 6. I don't ever want to feel that Peter doesn't respect me again. This is what I'd call a very slim worksheet. It's okay, of course, if that's all that comes, but the worksheet is designed to help you go broader than this. And if you take your time and really consider the questions being asked, you will usually find more. And it may take some stillness to do so. In a later episode, we will return to the worksheet and look at it in a little more depth. This is enough for now, however. Now it's your turn. It's time for you to fill out a Judge Your Neighbor worksheet. As I said, if you haven't done so already, you can find it in the podcasts menu on my website, theartofbeinghuman.dk, 
or you can find it at thework.com. In order to fill out the worksheet, the first thing to do is choose a person and a situation to write about. And at this point, you might be tempted to write the worksheet about yourself. After all, it's about you, isn't it? So why not go straight to the root of the problem? But part of the beauty of the work is how it enables us to see ourselves through the way we see others. The tool is designed to work on our judgments out there. And don't worry, it will all end back home. So when we fill in the Judge Your Neighbor worksheet, the task is to judge someone else. To identify a stressful moment with someone and get clear about what it is you want from them in that moment, what you think they ought to do differently, what you think you need from them, and how you see them. And it may only have been for two seconds that you directed your anger at them before you turned it around and started blaming yourself. But go to those two seconds and write from there. Let go of all your knowledge, let go of your adult perspective, let go of your understanding of the other person's background and difficulties, and allow that hurt or angry or fearful part of you to have its voice without any restrictions or limitations. Be five years old. Show yourself the kindness of listening to yourself. And remember, it's just your thoughts in that moment. I love my children. I accept their right to be exactly as they are. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments, even if it's just for ten seconds, where I'm taken over by thoughts about them that are anything but loving and accepting. Those are the ten seconds I work with. So, in a moment, I will invite you to close your eyes and dive into the depths of your mind, trying to find a situation to work with. You can either look for a stressful situation directly, or you can start with a person who bothers you and then find a situation involving him or her. When did someone make you angry, confused, sad or disappointed? It could be something that happened five minutes ago, or it could be a situation from your distant past. It makes no difference, because whatever happened, if you still feel stressed about it, then the beliefs are still alive in you. When you've found a specific stressful situation, it's time to return yourself to it one more time. To enter your mind's simulator, travel back to that exact moment and relive it. Where were you? Who were you with? Were you standing or sitting down? What time of day was it? Bring yourself back fully to the situation. Be present in it again, experiencing everything that happened as if it were all happening right now. And when you feel you're there, find the specific moment where the emotion was at its most intense. At what point did your feelings of stress or discomfort peak? What was it the other person said or did, or didn't say or do, that sent that wave of unpleasantness rolling through you? When you've found that moment and are fully present in it, you're ready to fill out the worksheet. At this point, two things are important. Keep returning to the specific moment you found and allow everything you write to come from your experience in that moment. And write in sentences 
that are as short and simple as possible. Now, all that's left is to get started. Write honestly and without filtering anything. Don't be considerate, don't be kind or try to embellish your thoughts. Nobody else is going to read this, so give yourself permission to express yourself with complete freedom and honesty. The more honestly and directly you write down your thoughts, the better the starting point you give yourself to work with later. Two pieces of information before you start. First, if you find that filling out the worksheet is difficult, there is a separate podcast where I guide you through the entire process of filling it out. And second, having a filled-out worksheet is the starting point of the next episode, where we cover the second process of the work, asking the four questions. So please bring your filled-out worksheet to that session. And now it's time for you to go to work. Until next time, I am Ernest, and I thank you for joining me on this journey towards peace, clarity, and the end of suffering. The work of Byron Katie is copyrighted by Byron Katie International. You can read more on www.thework.com. For more podcasts like this one, visit theartofbeinghuman.dk. And feel free to contact me if you have any questions or comments to this podcast. You can find my contact information at theartofbeinghuman.dk or you can simply send an email to ernest at kavm.dk. That is ernest at kiloalphavictormike.dk. Thank you for listening.